Welcome to The Ear Spoon. This is Fish, and we have started a special line of interviewing called A Call to Action. We hope to distribute as much quality information to you about an ever-changing landscape, but please keep in mind, as it does change often, so might this information. It's all dated, and by all means, before acting on any of it, verify it. And as all Ear Spoon podcasts, it is presented to you by Mocha Joe's. If you live locally, they are offering curbside pickup, and they're still doing shipping through their website, mochajoes.com. Welcome to A Call to Action, a series presented by Great Eastern Radio and Brattleboro Community Television. We're covering many different topics like delivering news in a fake news world to how municipalities are dealing with the ever-changing landscape that is COVID-19. Today I have two guests, Dr. Jalissa Snyder and Laura Calloway, who are who is a clinical social worker at the Brattleboro Retreat, and both of them are taking time out of their busy schedule today to be here, and it's been crazy. I think we can all agree to that. First of all, welcome to A Call to Action. Thank you for having us, Peter. Thank, Thank you, you for being here. All right, we, we've got, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, so we're just going to get right into it. People have uh, an increased amount of time on their hands right now, and I believe that uh, they're, they're, people are getting a little scared, especially when they start watching the news. And some of the, uh, what are some of those precursors to like psychological trauma, uh, and how does crisis mirror such conditions? Um, Jalissa, if, if you wouldn't mind starting first, I'll, I'll point that question to you first. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, well. None of us, Peter, are experts on the psychological effects of the pandemic in modern culture. So we're all in this and learning together. But with that, what we do know is we know a lot about the preconditions of trauma, the both environmental and the personal and community psychological conditions that can create or make people more vulnerable to experiencing an acute stress response, or even eventually, if untreated, a post-traumatic stress response. And so what we do know actually mirrors a lot of what's going on in our culture globally mm -hmm. and in our communities, um, and therefore there's reasons to be concerned. Um, so let me just share some of the, the, what we do know, the precursors. So first of all, one of the major things is just uncertainty and a lack of predictability. You know, human beings need to have a certain element of predictability in their lives. And with this pandemic, it's enormously um, uh, bringing so much change to so many people's lives and there isn't any clear beginning, middle and end to this. So we're all in sort of an unprecedented experience of uncertainty. Okay, the other major factor is a feeling of helplessness. Okay, when we're in situations where we feel in any way threatened, our psychophysiological, our biological and psychological systems are very, very highly tuned. It's survival for us to get activated into what's called a fight, flight, or freeze situation. Our stress hormones like adrenaline, cortisol get activated. And we get very finely tuned to what the threat is, and we want to do something about it. And here we're in a situation where what we can do about it is limited. And also, one of the things we're doing about it is staying less mobile. Okay, so the natural way of taking action is in some degree impeded by the fact that many people 
are in situations, we're all in situations where we have to socially distance in order to do the correct thing and address the fears. Um, so those are just a couple of preconditions. Other preconditions is just a lack of connection. Yeah. You know, human beings are social beings. I mean, there's a lot written about, you know, each person for themselves, but really we are fully social beings. Our whole sense of self and psychology was developed in social relationships. And so many people are just suffering from not having those social connections that they have in their daily life. Like just even going to a class and seeing other people, seeing a friend in the supermarket and being able to say hello and wave and, and give a hug. If anything, our society is like we have to stay away. Um, so that's another precursor to a traumatic situation. Um, safety, fundamental safety. We're all looking for safety. That's just part of the human condition. And so for many people, their sense of safety has been profoundly undermined and they're scared. And I understand why that would be so in this situation. Um, so that's just another precursor to, to trauma. And I think the deepest thing is helplessness, right. where people feel helpless. And then people are also struggling to get connected with their own sense of self and their identity. So ways that people had self-agency, the way they expressed themselves in their lives. For many people, those avenues, those venues are not really existent right now. Okay, that's fair enough. So Laura, I guess, and, and I mean, that, that's just, I guess we can apply that to anybody with those cognitive skills that can recognize that. How, how do we, what are we looking for with, with kids? How do we deal with that uh, for, for the little ones? <laughs> Uh, you, you know, for kids, they are, they're very much right now, what we need to look at is the fact that they have been essentially taken off their developmental trajectory um, in many ways. They are meant to be connecting with their peers on a day-to-day -day basis and in school. Um, and that's not happening for them. So we need to be sensitive to how big of a change this is for them um, and that they are going through much of the same fear process as adults um, and that they are very attuned to the, to the adult response um, to this. So it's so important as parents that we, um, you know, keep ourselves in check and make sure that we are um, noticing that we're taking care of ourselves so that we can take care of our children right. through this. Um, yeah, so kind of air, 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 the, what I like to refer to as airplane rules. When right. that mask drops, put it on yourself first. Absolutely. Right, so that's, that's good. Now, everything leans that, that I've been reading and uh, throughout this whole thing is, is staying active. Um, and I'm, I assume that that goes for both adults and kids. Have you both found that, uh, what, what have you both found that has have been the highest yielding, like feel good results um, out of this whole entire thing? And again, I understand nobody pandemics well. <laughs> all right, so we're, we're all trying to fix the car while it's moving. So a lot of this stuff is, is trying to hit a moving target. But is, is there anything early on that you have found Yes, um, that's where Laura and I decided it was about a month ago to write tips. And the reason we wrote the tips is we actually looked at the trauma literature 
and then our helpful tips of how to cope is really based on trauma research of how we can abate the intensity of these precursors of trauma so that we can alleviate the potentiality of people developing an acute stress response or a trauma anxiety response. So one of the best ways you already pointed out, Peter, is movement. The body needs to, when under threat, respond in some kind of action-oriented way. Okay, and so movement is a way to help abate, calm down, and also it actually decreases the level of the adrenaline and cortisol in our nervous system, which are the stress hormones. So, you know, any kind of movement, again, for each person, it's going to be different, but right. people are taking a lot of virtual classes. They're taking yoga, Tai Chi, good walks. You know, um, Laura, maybe you'll want to talk about this for children and families. Right. I mean, not only um, will it be helpful in terms of the, the stress response, but family cohesion, you know, family walks. Um, you know, I would... I'd be careful to advise not to push something that's going to create conflict in your family though. So if you have the kind of family where you know one of your children is going to just not like that idea, d don't float it. <laughs> you know, take take the, the child who likes to go for a walk on a walk and, and let the other one um, play on the swing set if you're so lucky to have one. Um, but you know, children, um, you know, of course, em encourage any kind of play that they're interested in. Um, exploring right now, we have more time, so we can explore more with children. And I think that that um, is going to be really important for them and for families. Um, and that can, of course, be such a stress relief for everyone. Um, the other thing that I would like to, to note is um, with children, the importance of keeping routine. So um, that will uh, go a long way in reducing any kind of negative impact of all of this. If children end up flipping their schedules, um, that, that's going to add a layer of challenge that I don't think families really need right now. Well, Laura, well, I want to ca capitalize, if I can, Peter, sure. about the children needing routine and say adults need it too. Yes. Yeah. Um, and not just <laughs> adults who are trying to have routine for their children. Yeah. We need it um, actually, I think, as deeply as children do. And many people's schedules are really in quite an upheaval. And so as best as one can to create some kind of schedule for the week or some kind of schedule for every day. Um, and there's some suggestions that Laura and I would have is what's put in the schedule, but the schedule, and I don't mean a schedule on a constrictive right. you know, moment to moment basis, but at least if you know, okay, between two and three, I'm going to be talking to this friend between four and five, I'm going to be um, taking a walk, just some kind of schedule. And also it's very important to try to stay regulated around your eating patterns and your sleep schedule. Right. I, uh, we, uh, I have an old saying that says, uh, plan your work, then work your plan. Yes. So that, and I think, I think that's what you're getting to. Uh, Laura, let me, I'm going to kind of direct this at, at you and because I know that I see it in, in, in adult life a lot more. We don't have any kids at home. And as this thing stretches on from week uh, to week, uh, different emotions will come into play. 
Uh, for instance, right now, their kids' days were normally going to be filled up with, with going to school. But as we begin to approach those summer months, and especially those, those older kids who were looking forward to graduation, um, what are you telling parents to watch for as, as these days press on? Um, watch for, um, frankly, signs of depression, um, especially in older children, but also in younger children. Our older children are quite vulnerable right now. Their schedules have um, shifted dramatically. There is a lot of fear. There's a lot we don't understand about this um, virus and a lot we don't know yet about how the pandemic will play out. Um, for older children, that's having some uh, just incredible real-time, real-life impacts um, in terms of the losses that they're facing. Um, you know, prom, but graduation. You know, significant milestones, and and now even um, you know questions about how fall will be. So not just how summer will be, but how fall will be. So jobs and going off to college, all of that um, planning and that work, um, really there are just many, many questions about. So I think that these kids have an understandable um, sense of loss. Um, and with that, you do need to watch for um, issues of depression and anxiety. Um, and teenagers, adolescents, um, you're going to want to look for um, irritability and anger as some of the symptoms. Um, okay. Well, as the typical symptoms of depression. Sure, a little extra, a little bit more lashing out than a normal teenager possibly. Yes. Over, yes. over smaller things, I would assume. Yes. Setting them off, and 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 Jalissa, you can probably speak to that as far as adults. Probably not that that much different. I mean, I, I imagine that adults who have a graduating child who are probably just, you know, crestfallen that they won't be able to, to put on that cap and gown and have that experience and that's been stripped from them. I mean, do, do we watch for signs in adults for this sort of thing? Yes, we do. I mean, you're talking a lot about grief. There's a lot of grief. Um, right. And we're not even sure exactly fully what we're grieving yet. So we're in a kind of grief and loss process that's ongoing. It's like, as Laura was saying, like if the children or the families knew that, you know, summer camp was going to happen, which seems highly like unlikely. Right. And if they knew it was happening in the fall, we have a time sequence and a predictability, uh, but we really don't know that. So um, I would say to normalize, to really normalize the full range of emotional responses. Grief, sadness, anger, frustration, times of just some irritability. You know, sometimes with a frustration tolerance, it's just getting to the low end. Um, and to make these emotions uh, that we can talk about them, we can express them, we can check in, not only with our children or families, with our friends. How are you really doing? So we can give expression in more of a communicative way rather than a um, behavioral way. Okay. But I have a lot of concerns for adults. I have a lot of concerns for adults that have pre-existent mental health challenges and for some adults who will develop mental health challenges. I'm very concerned about um, 
families that are not healthy and being in a situation where they're all under enormous stress. I'm thinking of poverty, I'm thinking of homelessness, I'm thinking of domestic violence, I'm thinking of addiction. Um, and mental health professionals, we are all very concerned about this and um, are trying, I know here at the retreat, where our outpatient departments are all open. You know, we're seeing new people, we welcome new people to come in now. We're also concerned that even when things begin to abate, what the aftermath might be for some individuals, mm -hmm. um, people with pre-existent trauma conditions um, may have more triggers in terms of the current situation. At the same time, Peter, I wanna say something else that is I think equally as important, is I have seen people come th through this so far with incredible strengths. Oh yeah, yeah, there's a you lot know, of that. Yeah, strengths they didn't even realize that they had. Even people have had history of trauma and they realize how much they've learned from being brave enough and courageous enough to do therapeutic work on their trauma and how they're bringing those skills to this situation and even to their families and friends. So I think people are also finding a kind of grit and a resilience and psychological um, abilities and skills that they may not have realized that they actually had. Right. Yeah. So there, there, there are cer certainly some positives and, and some re resilience building exercises here for sure. There's an old saying, this too shall pass. You've heard this. Yes. Uh, I think, uh, and I think when we're talking about a, a, a this pandemic, it's true. Eventually we will, we will plow through this. We will get through this. However, when it does come time to act as, and I'm using air quotes, business as usual, um, I'm, I'm curious, and you, and you touched on that a little bit, Jalissa, just now with, um, you know, what does that look like for an adult? What does that look like for kids? I mean, I think kids um, are a lot more resilient than adults. Um, and, and maybe it's just to, to that their lack of, of experience on the planet. Uh, I think that they'll rebound faster. I mean, would, would, you, would you agree with that, Laura, or is that incorrect? Well, I think it's correct to some degree. I think it depends on how much they've been impacted. So I do think that um, younger kids will rebound quite quickly. Um, I think that kids who face more loss from this um, pandemic, you know, might have more bumps in the road. And actually, it doesn't entirely depend on age. It does depend on, you know, what are their family circumstances? How hard has their family been hit? With this pandemic? Have they lost someone to the virus? Has there been um, great economic um, pressure and loss as well? Um, so it varies. But there, I'm, I'm seeing so much um, resiliency on the part of my clients and just people I know in general. And I think we're finding out a lot about ourselves and our strengths. We are. Jalissa, I guess the same, set of, the same question could be pointed to you. Yes, well, it's interesting. I've had a lot of conversations with individuals about that question. You know, this too will pass. Uh, but we don't know what it's going to look like once it passes or it really passes. Um, we're dealing with a situation, it's not a switch on or off. You know, until we, uh, from what I've read of the experts, and I'm not an infectious disease expert, but what I've read is until we have a vaccine, or until we have um, adequate 
um, treatment for the virus once it's contracted, um, we're still gonna have a level of risk. And so I'm really curious about you know, how this is gonna proceed as we move forward in the next you know, two months, four months, six months, eight months um, as a society, as individuals, as families, but also as a society. Um, some people are feeling like some things in society might fundamentally change. And some people are saying some of those changes might be for the better in the long run. No one's saying they're glad about this, by the way. Right. No rose-colored glasses here. But uh, maybe people will take more seriously other threats to our social environment, like climate change and so on. Uh, maybe people will learn more about what is really fundamentally at the end of the day valuable to them? You know, like the wisdom of the elders. At the end of the day, what really, really matters to you? And so that could bring a level of psychological, spiritual maturity um, during this time to many individuals. Uh, but we really don't know when this is going to be over. You know, and I think because of that, um, we have to be very cognizant of the ongoing mental health consequences of this pandemic. Like, I'm not only concerned for like a month ago today and the next month, I'm concerned about how people might be faring in July. I'm concerned about how people might be faring in September yeah. um, or next December. You know, it's one thing to mobilize yourself you know, and get in there for a situation. But when it continues to go on and on, it can wear people down. And there's a condition called um, psychophysiological fatigue, which is about ongoing unremittent stress. So I have concerns about um, the longer haul of this. And that's why I think it is so important that as best as we can um, on a weekly or daily basis to practice good mental health nourishment so that we can prevent that kind of long-term uh, stress disorders. Okay. Um, so uh, with frustration, sometimes um, people act out in, in, in a violent manner. Yes. All right. Um, that's an unfortunate byproduct. Um, what, what are some skills that um, you can pass on to an adult and then conversely, um, maybe maybe pass on to a child to kind of quell that a little bit. Is there is there is there a skill set? Is there something that folks could be doing? Like if they're feeling super agitated and, and they're about ready to just blow up. I mean, what what can they do? Laura, I'm going to go towards you first because I'm thinking you not only work with children, you also work with parents. I do, I do. Um, so a lot of what I'm talking about lately is not pacing, right? I mean, we are living in difficult times. We're all being asked to sacrifice a lot. Um, our lifestyles have changed. So I'm talking a lot about being really gentle with ourselves and each other. Um, and you have, you have to kind of pace your day and, and um, set your expectations appropriately. So frankly, I'm talking about really lowering expectations. Um, you know, I, I don't think we need to be the people in a pandemic who paint our whole house. I mean, if you want to be, fantastic. 
but don't necessarily set yourself up for something that you can't do and you'll just feel um, regret and shame about not doing. Um, and, you know, as far as anger goes, I am really talking to folks about it's normal to feel angry and scared um, right now. That is absolutely okay. Um, let's look at how you can express that without hurting yourself or anyone else. So, you know, of course, there's lots of um, breath work that people can be doing. The exercise is really important. The sharing um, with others, reaching out for help when you feel like, you know what, I just, I, I'm at my, I'm at the end of my rope. Okay. So, Jalissa, let me ask you this, because you had mentioned something a little earlier in the interview about uh, how the retreat doors are open if people need help. Um, is, is, and, and we do these interviews, obviously, respecting social distancing, uh, just to get the information out via Zoom chat. Uh, does the, re is the retreat offering this, this level of counseling? Yes, yeah, so the retreats, um, inpatient, um, hospital, many, many inpatient programs are fully open and operative. We also have four outpatient programs that are, um, all operative and we are completely set up to do tele medicine and telehealth, either through a um, audio video platform or by the phone. We have set up our systems completely. This department has restructured itself in the midst of like two to three weeks. And so, um, I mean, I'm doing 25 psychotherapy sessions this week over Zoom. Okay. And it's really remarkable to me. I mean, I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I've been in this field for 36 years and I never thought I would be doing like telemedicine. Um, but hey, you know, in crisis times, you need to adapt. And I'm surprised. It's not a replacement, by the way. I really would much rather, I look forward to the day where people are coming into the office, but it is so interesting to me how well these sessions are going and the value people tell me that they're getting from them. And so we're open for new folks, we've developed a remote intake and evaluation system. And so I'm really proud of this hospital for how quickly, um, because this took a tremendous amount of teamwork. There has been mobilization. Our doors are figuratively open in many ways and literally in many ways. And um, if anyone wants to see a therapist, even as the short term, long term, we have um, a mind body pain clinic. We have a addiction program for alcohol and also for uh, a suboxone program, a hub and spoke program. We are all open and we're all open for new referrals. Well, good for you. And, and Laura, you, you, you are doing the same thing as well? Yes, yes. Okay, very good. Now, um, I guess uh, as, as the governors deem things, uh, your positions are essential. Um, as, as, they, as he deems things, my position is essential. I work, I live and am married to a woman who, uh, whose business is not essential. So she is home. I allow, I allow her into my office <laughs> so she can get a little bit of a break. But, you know, sometimes there, there's, there's something. I mean, it's not necessarily business as usual for me, mm -hmm. but it certainly isn't business as usual for her. So how do we, within a, within a marriage or within a relationship, um, kind of respect each other's boundaries around that? Laura, I'm going to go to you first, also, because you have children at home. You have a much more challenging situation than I do. Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, we have a full house. Um, and my husband and I are both deemed essential workers. However, my husband, um, he's a teacher and he's teaching from home and we have two students learning from home. So that's a lot. Um, again, I think it's about setting expectations and talking about the space that you have as a family and being really honest about it and um, having some pragmatic discussions about um, who is where and when. And I'm really thankful that I can come to my office and leave, right. quite honestly, um, and get out of their way. Um, but I do think we have to be honest and we need to be honest, um, circling back around to, to um, mood and anger about irritability and that it will come up. Um, and I hope that we can all be um, especially kind to one another. And I really hope you're telling your wife how essential she is, despite how her job is deemed. Because um, I think we're all facing some sense of um, some sort of loss around our jobs because our jobs have all at least changed. Um, you know, I think folks who are working in grocery stores right now, um, while they have their job and it's sort of the same, it's probably pretty darn different, right? To work in a grocery store right now. I'm sure it's um, scary. Yeah, so there's, a, there's a, a lot of change that we're all rapidly adjusting to. Um, so I think we should be mindful of that and kind to one another around it. Yep, I've, uh, I've, I've, I have basically, uh, I've, I've spent uh, the last few weeks saying that when we get to the other side of this, we all need to look back and make sure that we were proud of how we acted. That's right, that's right. And that's something that um, Laura and I have also talked about in our writing and in our discussions, that at the end of the day, there's gonna be so much of this narrative that's gonna be about the disease and the pandemic and society. And then there's gonna be your story. Right. How did you respond during this time? Um, did you hold yourself and others in compassion? You know, how did you make choices that were available? There's so much we don't have choice of. Did you find places in your life, in your relationships, in your actions where you do have choices? And did you use those opportunities well? Yeah, no, that's it. It, there's a lot to unpack. Like I said, we're, just, we're trying to fix the car while it's moving. Yeah, and, and the one thing, Peter, I'd also add is that nobody should be trying to do this alone. You know, many people are very rich in relationships. Many people are not. Right. And so please, you know, I just ask for myself, Laura, for you, for all of us. You know, we're in this together. Um, it affects us each individually in some similar and different ways. But please reach out. Reach out to others. Um, don't hesitate to do that. No one should be expected to figure out how to manage, you know, the complexity of this kind of situation alone. Right. Excellent. Mm -hmm. um, to either of you, I'll put this out be before, uh, before we bring this thing to a close. Is there any information that you feel we may have left out of today's conversation? That's such a great question. Yeah, it's a big question too, so I apologize, but I just want to make sure because this has been a really good conversation, and I think a lot of really good information, and uh, people can. Uh, I want people to understand um, how it's impacting everybody, and and also uh, another thing that I've been saying a lot of is is have respect 
for the way somebody is is acting. If uh, if you do not believe that this pandemic is real, respect the fact that somebody else might. Mm-hmm. And and just to I don't think it's you know it, and just not to be that that bully that just breaks that six foot barrier because you don't know what you're doing to somebody when you do that. Right. So. Right. Laura, did you right. have that, that sounded like I worked at the retreat there for a second. I didn't mean to do that. Okay. We're influencing you, Peter. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I think I just lost my train of thought. That's fine. I get it. We're allowed. Well, um, I also, I think, want to say, and I want to capitalize a bit on what Laura said at, towards this end about um, being realistic with ourselves. You know, you may not get your house painted or your closets might not be cleaned out. Um, you might not be the kindest person every moment of the day. Um, you might lose your temper. You might be irritable. And um, to try to recognize that part of the human condition is to allow for an understanding of what we're able to do and what we're not able to do. And that if you again lose your temple, you temple uh, temper, you step on someone's foot, whatever. That um, the kindness of apology, the kindness is I'm sorry. The kindness is it's hard. We're all going through this together. Right. You know, if you run up against someone in the grocery store that doesn't appear to be following precautions, it'd be very easy to get angry and irritable. But just to also remember that. We're all doing in our own way at times very best we can. And everyone's under enormous stress. And we don't know another person's story. Right. We really don't. So as best as we can, as sometimes fear can be contagious, um, sometimes kindness and care can also be contagious. And to give people the benefit of the doubt. I like that. We'll, we'll leave it there. Okay. All right. Laura. And Jalissa, thank you so much for being on a call to action today. I think we've, we've put out some really good information and I thank the both of you for taking the time to do this today. Well, thank you, Peter. Thank, right. you. thank you for tuning in to a special segment of the Earspoon called A Call to Action as we navigate the waters of a worldwide pandemic. More information will follow. And as always, be safe and be six feet apart.